Good morning to you. It's good to see you. Last week, we started a series on living generously and confronting the things that get us stuck. Have you thought any more about that, this concept of getting stuck in your life? And we looked at two obstacles, if you remember back. The two things that we can get stuck in that prevent us from really growing and maturing in our ability to be outrageous givers. Do you consider yourself to be an outrageous giver? Hopefully you will be, if you're not, by the time we're done. And the, the two things, generous with our time and our resources, the first one had to do with our motivation when it comes to tithing. Now, tithing is never an easy thing for us, is it? And the second one had to do with understanding that God owns it all. And that everything we have, it's actually his, and he just allows us to use it. Now, this is a concept, this whole idea of that God is, that everything we have is actually God's and that he just allows us to use it. It's, it's, it's a concept that I've heard at least 100 times. It's one of my dad's favorite things to preach about. Right, dad? Amen. Amen. Well, this week, I want to talk specifically about generosity. And, and here's the good news for you this morning. It's not one of those sermons where we're talking about money again, so you can relax. We're not going to go into that again. This morning, I want to talk to you about the relationship between generosity and truly understanding God's love for us. Now, I really want you to hang in there with me on this because I believe that this is super important for us to understand as Christ followers. Because here's the thing. I don't think we need to be told to be more generous. I think we all want to give already because we're made in the image of God who's constantly pouring himself out for us. And so deep down, I believe we already want to pour ourselves out and to give and to do great things simply because of that. But the world, of course, it hardens our hearts to that. And things like economic inequality can really hinder people's ability to give as well. It can also kind of deaden people's appetite for generosity and giving to others. It's a very real thing. But deep down underneath all of that, I think we all really want to give. That's our hearts. And I believe there's a lot of evidence to support that. So if you were like me as a kid, or maybe even as an adult, you can be honest here. It's just us. Did you ever dream about being a superhero? How many of you guys, let's see how brave you are, how honest you are. How many in here ever dreamed about being a superhero? Raise your hand. I think most of the guys in here probably would say that. And as we were dreaming about being a superhero, our dreams weren't about going shopping for a new car or a 120-inch TV or a new furniture or a new home. That's not at all what we were dreaming about. When we were kids and we were dreaming about it, say, we were thinking about saving people from a sinking ship, right? Or saving people from being robbed at a bank or saving people from a burning building. That's the kind of stuff we were dreaming about because we wanted to do big things that really helped other people. And that stuff is still in our hearts. We, so we keep right on dreaming about those types of things. So when we have some spare time, maybe at a long stoplight, maybe you're sitting there getting a haircut or listening to a long sermon on generosity, <laughs> you start daydreaming about things. I see the glassy eyes sometimes. You think I don't. I see it. And we dream about things like, what if my house caught on fire? What if the building I'm in caught on fire? What if the building across the street caught on fire and there was someone trapped inside? 
Would I be willing to go in there and try and get them out? Have you ever thought about stuff like that? Rushing into a building that's on fire, there's smoke, there's ashes, there's coughing, there's intense heat. You can picture this, right? And you see someone who's hurt, and you're able to get them out just as that beam fell right behind you, and you barely escape with your lives. When you finally make it outside, the family of that person that you just saved, they're right there, and they're crying, and they're hysterical, and then they see their family member, right? Can you imagine just how good that would feel? Do you know why we dream like that? Because there's so much stuff in our life that's just pointless and empty. And we're seeking meaning. But man, oh man, that, that would have some serious meaning in our life, right? Something like that, that would change our lives. That would change both theirs and our lives. You know, I think that all of us dream about these types of things in some way. Because we're all made in the image of a God who constantly pours himself out for us and we long to do that same thing for other people as well. We see it in the world as well. We see people who sacrifice themselves to do great things for other people quite often and we celebrate that as we should. And for sure we see the opposite of that as well. We see violence, right? Turn on the TV. I'm praying, praying for Israel, I hope you are as well. We see violence, we see greed, we see apathy. We see all sorts of things that aren't anywhere close to being generous. So the question is why? Why if, if we all have a heart to give, if we all have a heart to be superheroes, why do we see all this other stuff, all this other garbage happening? What is it that sabotages our generosity? Who's the supervillain who's trying to foil my superpowers, right? Where's the kryptonite buried that's zapping this energy that God's infused in me? That's what I want to talk about today. I think we get a good glimpse in the book of Philippians at a, at a reason why we see all of this other stuff going on. If, if we all have this heart to give, if that's true. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3? Starting at verse 18, going to verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 18, going through verse 20. And would you stand for the reading of God's word. You won't have to be standing very long. This is short. Philippians 3, starting at verse 18. Many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. You see, I think what Paul's proposing here is that there are two kingdoms. There's this kingdom that we're born into, and then there's a kingdom that we're invited into that we're offered to join, right? So here's my theory about this after dealing with people for the past 30 or so years in ministry. The more we set our hearts and minds on the kingdom of God, that we're invited into, the more generosity will just naturally thrive and grow in our lives because that is what we were made for. You see, we're not made for the kingdom that we were born into. We're made for the kingdom that we're invited into. And when we join that kingdom, we start to see things work and generosity, it starts to flow through us more naturally. And the flip side of that, though, is also true. The more we set our minds on this kingdom that we're born into, the more generosity gets suffocated. It gets choked off. 
See, the answer to a lack of generosity isn't necessarily to tell people to be more generous because I believe we already want to be generous. The answer lies more in the question of where are our hearts and our minds set? That's something only you can answer. Now, I'm not saying that all we have to do is just dream about heaven and just avoid and ignore all the worldly problems. That's not what I'm saying. Because the problems we have in this world, the world that we're born into, man, they are very, very real. And God wants us to be a solution to those problems in the here and now. But what I am saying is that the best way to become the type of people who will serve in the here and now is to set our minds and our hearts on the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what will change us into the types of people that are effective in the here and now. See, it's, it's not a way to escape from the problems of the here and now. It's a way to make us more effective at dealing with the problems in the here and now. But why is that? Because it, to me, it kind of seems kind of strange to set our hearts and minds someplace else, right? And if we do that, it will somehow make us more effective in the here and now. But there is a reason for it. And that reason is generosity comes from a much, much deeper place than simply giving. You see, generosity flows out of a much deeper well than just how much you give. And generosity can often become a bit of a, a false barometer where we tell ourselves stuff like, Scott, you know, if you give consistently, you give a lot, that means you're doing pretty good. And we can then sometimes look at giving as a way to show off what a good Christian we are. Look, God, look at how much I'm giving. I bet Jesus is so proud of me. Look at all the money I'm giving and all the people that I'm giving things to. Pat on the back for me. See, the, the generosity that God calls us to is so much deeper than that. And the sad fact of the matter is there's actually a lot of ungodly ways to give. Seems kind of strange to say that, right? Ungodly ways to give? You see, if generosity was simply all about how much we give, then wouldn't that be what God would call us to? And if that were the case, then the question for us would be, so how much are you giving? Well, you know, Steve over there, he gives, he gives way more than that, so be more like Steve. If your name's Steve, I'm sorry. I'm just a generic name. You see, if it was all about giving, then how much we give would be the most important thing. But do you remember the example Jesus gave us of what a good giver looks like? I'm sure you do. Jesus doesn't show us someone who gives a lot. He shows us an old widow who drops two pennies into the offering plate, right? And he calls that kingdom giving because she gave all she had. Jesus is trying to tell us that it doesn't matter how much we give. If our motivation, if you remember that word from last week, motivation, if our motivation is to simply give for the sake of giving. What matters is giving with a heart and mind that's slanted towards God's kingdom and what he wants. Because there's something very, very special about God's kingdom. There truly is something very different and very special about God's kingdom. But do you know what it is? Because we need to understand just what makes this kingdom so special. That it can change us in these amazing sort of ways. You see, we have this special kind of love that's in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called agape love, right? And agape love, it's a very different type of love than any other type of love. We experience affectionate love, love for family or a friend just about every day. For example, when you see a cute baby like Gwendolyn Rankin, man, do you just turn to goo. I do. 
You don't choose that reaction, it just kind of happens. See Gwendolyn with all that hair in her head and that sweet little face, your heart just melts. You react with an affectionate type of love. In the Greek, it's called storge or phileo type of a love. The most of the love and most of the loves that we experience in our world are reactive like that, but agape love, that one's different. Agape is a love that we choose, whether we have emotion tied to it or not. We choose to love people with agape love. You see, agape love, it's others-oriented. It's not self-oriented. It's not about what I'm getting in my life. It's about how we're doing as a group or as a people. And it's the type of community that God is calling all of us into. You see, agape love is very unique. Because when you have an others-oriented type of love, even to the point of being willing to be self-sacrificial to others, it creates a very, very special connection you can't find anywhere else. That's why when I say the church, when the church is working right, it's like nothing else. You see, you begin to connect with others in ways that the world has no way to reproduce. Radical connections happen with agape love. And those radical connections, they bring healing and growth literally like nothing else that I know of. Jesus talked a lot about this type of love. In fact, he says in John 17, 21, as he's praying about his disciples and he's talking about their love for one another, Jesus says this, I pray that they may be one, Father, in the same way that you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. I've read that verse probably a hundred times and for whatever reason, it blew my mind this time. Now, I believe that this is one of the most profound verses in scripture and here's why. Just think about what Jesus is asking for here. For us to be included in their love for each other. They want us involved. We're not omnipotent. We can't walk around and just create something by thinking about it. If I'm hungry, I can't just snap my fingers and have a pizza pop into existence. Probably a good thing I can't do that. We can't do that because we're not omnipotent. God hasn't given us that. And I can't walk around and think with God's deep and profound intelligence. I can't think with God's omniscience. I have been given that. But I have been invited to share in God's deep and intense love. Let that sink in. And what God is calling us to is similar. In that, in order for us to live and be in that type of community where we love with an other-centered, agape-type love, we have to make changes in our own lives so we can be like-minded with him. We can't tell God to change. We've got to change. It means that in this world, the world we're born into, where our possessions and our careers are so super important to us, what we have to understand is, is that it's not really that important. So we've got to get better at living the way that Jesus is calling us to live, which means that we can't cling to our things. We can't be possessed by our possessions. We can't get wrapped up in our desires we can't abuse the gifts that God's given us by using them for our own selfish reasons. Because none of those things will work if we use them like that in God's kingdom. See, God's not calling us to be generous simply for generosity's sake. He doesn't necessarily care about how much you give. He cares about if you're preparing your heart for the community that he's now calling you into. What God wants us to do is to release our grip on the things that seem important to us here but are meaningless over there. That's why giving in the body of Christ is not just about giving, it's also about letting go 
Do you remember the exercise from last week? Open-handed giving. And it's also why scripture talks so much about how giving has the ability to expand our hearts. See, in the kingdom that we're born into, in the world we live in, giving is seen as somehow reducing us or devaluing us because when we give, we have less, right? But as we move into the kingdom of God, our hearts grow because we're no longer connected to the kingdom that we were born into. And our hearts can now thrive and grow because we're not clinging to the meaningless kingdom of this world any longer. That's why giving is more about letting go of the old kingdom and moving into the new community that we're called into and learning how to live in this newfound freedom. And the more that we grow into this agape-type community, the more secure that we become with each other. The more willing we become to make some pretty serious sacrifices for each other. And I know some of you have already done that because I've heard some of the stories. Luke talks about this in the book of Acts. We looked at this passage about a month ago. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. As I continue to read through this, this is the type of community we're talking about. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church, isn't that what you want? Man, that last one. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That in and of itself, that's our mission. So Paul's saying that all the believers were together, that they had everything in common, that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Meaning, everyone shared what they had and sold their possessions as they saw need. And they all work together as a community. Think about what Paul's saying here. Right now, in America, 2023, we're not there. I don't think anybody could give me an argument that would convince me that that's where we're at. That's not where we're at as a church or as a society. I don't know exactly what happens, probably complicated, but we're not like that anymore. We're in a much different place now. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is that we look at starting an agape-type community right here at MPNAS. But the place to start with this is not necessarily for all of us to sell our possessions. That's not it. The whole selling our possessions, that's something we probably have to figure out together, figure out what kind of needs we have. And as far as the whole laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, I mean, absolutely, that's, that's great. But you don't go out and do that simply to prove how much you love them, right? What Paul's trying to get us to see and to understand is what happens when agape love starts to thrive and grow in your life. All the radical things that agape love can lead to. See, Paul's not saying that doing radical things alone will get you there. In fact, it's just the opposite. You have to start with your journey towards agape love and then see where God leads you. Now, this won't just magically happen. It's not a magic cookie. And to some, it probably seems like a weird utopian land, maybe of purple unicorns and double rainbows, right? Because life's nothing like that at all. And you're right, it's not. Life's not like that. In fact, life in many ways is the opposite of this. We don't live in an agape-type society or culture. We live in what I would call a contract culture. 
See if this rings true with you. In a contract culture, it's a land of passwords and prenuptial agreements and terms and conditions. That's what this land is all about. In this land, we have relationships, absolutely, but they're different than agape relationships. These relationships, they're transient. They're temporary. They're very easy to dissolve. You can just turn your back and walk away. This is a land of mutually beneficial relationships where each partner receives some type of benefit. Mutually beneficial. What a terrible concept to be applied to relationships. You know what that looks like, right? I'm in this relationship because I get these benefits. And as soon as those benefits are gone, this relationship, no longer necessary. I'm moving on to something that's more beneficial to me. That's what a contract culture or contract society is all about. And this is the land that we're born into, right? And the only way we can make it here is if we're adding value, if we're adding benefits somehow. I hope you're following me. So we're living in a place where we always have to be adding value to earn our place. And our place is never secure unless we're constantly adding value. This is our American culture in today's world. In a contract culture, we're always evaluating who is and who isn't beneficial to us. Is this person beneficial to me? Absolutely. I should get to know them. That person over there, not beneficial to me at all, so I'm going to avoid them. And in the church, that's a cancer. And it starts to mold us and manipulate us into being judges and also being judged because everyone else is doing the exact same thing. And so we're either judges or we're being judged at every moment of every, every day in a contract culture. Which means that basically that's what we are. We become judges. Basically we're all judges which also means that we're all alone in our contract society. We are literally on our own. It doesn't feel like it sometimes because we have these mutually beneficial relationships and we also have our family and they help to alleviate some of that aloneness. But outside of that, man, we're just in it by ourselves. Here's the good news. Agape love is possible even in a contract culture. It's not natural. It doesn't come naturally. It's something we have to be intentional about. It's something we have to put effort in because this whole concept kind of pushes us towards being self-centered. In a contract culture, in a contract society, we assume that death is the end. There's no afterlife. There's no God. This is the world that we've got, and that's it. You got one life. Use it, so don't waste it. That there's no God overflowing with abundance here, and there's only what you can see around you. And that kind of thinking forces you to go out and to get it yourself right now and to get as much of it as you can because there's only so much time out there, and you only have so much time. The YOLO life, right? You only live once. Can you see how just those two things, and there are a lot of other factors like this, but just those two things, the limitation of resources and the fact that we're going to die, it forces us to be self-centered. Even generosity in a contract culture can very quickly become all about, look how great I am, and look how great of a giver I am. I'm a, I'm a self-centered type of giver. Even our superheroes in a contract society can't escape the machine. All right, so just a little bit about me. A fact you probably could care less. But growing up, one of my absolute favorite superheroes was Batman. I was a big Batman fan. I liked the fact that he didn't have superpowers. All he had was gadgets, probably good shape, but a very quick mind. A detective, right? And I liked the whole dark and moody persona that Batman had, but when he was Bruce Wayne, how was he? Happy-go-lucky guy in everyday life, right? Now, Bruce Wayne, the poor guy, was just as wrapped up in contract culture as we are. 
Yes, he was a billionaire by day. He had big mansion, butler, exotic cars. But by night, he dressed up in a cape, a dark outfit, and he goes off into the city to do what? To fight crime. And there's usually some suburban family in the wrong part of town somehow. And these thugs show up and they try to rob them. But then Batman shows up. He knocks out the guys, ties them up, saves the day. Our hero, right? It's always a great thing that he did, but notice that Bruce Wayne didn't necessarily give away any of his billions of dollars because this is a contract society. Bruce shows up, he does the whole hero thing, he fights off the thugs, but he's not going to necessarily do anything to help fight the problem of the thugs being there in the first place. Batman fights the bad guys, that's it, that's all he does. You see, even our heroes are affected by it. The fact is, we've adapted well to contract culture. We've gotten really, really good at living in it. Contract society, we're effective, we're productive. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. We think that we're making our way in the world, but in reality, the world is making its way in us. And it's so true. And here's the thing. Most of us, we actually kind of like it here, too. We're comfortable and we're having fun. But the one thing that it can't do for us is fulfill us. It just can't. Because we're not made for this. We're made for the kingdom that we're invited into, not the one that we're born into. And when we're choosing to live in this contract culture, there's a part of us that feels out of place because we're not made for this kingdom that we're born into. We're like a puzzle piece that somehow ends up in the wrong puzzle box. Ever had that? Frustrating. I mean, it kind of looks like we belong there, and it sort of looks like it's the right picture, but there's something that's just not right. The whole reason we feel that way is because we're in the wrong puzzle box, right? If we were over there in that other puzzle box, the one that God's inviting us into, we'd fit. Because God's tapping into that part of our heart that knows 100% that this place we've been born into, that we've been raised in, it's not all there is. There's a place that we've been invited to. It's real, it's possible. And it's a place that we don't always have to be constantly trying to prove our worth. It's a place where we can live out the value that we already have. We don't have to earn it, we already have it. There's a place where we don't always have to be trying to show everybody our good side. We don't always have to convince everyone that we're living the good life. We don't always have to judge and we don't always have to be judged. You see, we, can, we can't mess up in, in an agape community because if you're there, you belong. You're where you're supposed to be. You're the puzzle piece that we needed. You're the puzzle piece that we've been waiting for. You don't have to worry about messing up here because you were made to be here. God is trying to tap into that part of you that hopes for that still, that hasn't been deadened by the world's way of doing community. So as we wind this up this morning, I want to leave you with just a couple of practical thoughts. There are a couple of things that we all can do to start moving MP Naz more into a agape culture. And the first thing is to have agape love for others. Have agape love for others. See, part of the reason we should start here is because this is something that you actually have control over. You get to choose this. Agape love, it's a chosen love. You commit to it. You commit to love certain people, so it's you that has total control over that. You don't, however, have any control over who loves you back. But you do have control over those you love. Now, you might be thinking, look, Pastor, I've tried to love people in the past, and they just didn't reciprocate. Well, that's contract thinking. That's looking for your mutual benefit. That's not agape thinking. Agape thinking is, I'm going to choose to love this person whether they reciprocate or not. Because here's the secret. We were made to love with an agape love because that's who God is. 
We were made in his image, which means that we were made for this. So your homework this week, yes, you've got homework, no groaning. It's easy. It's to think of someone that you work with or maybe a family member or especially someone you really don't like and try to have agape love for them. Are you willing to try it? Are you willing to try it? I hope so. I hope so. I know it's not an easy thing I'm asking. Second thing that we all can do to start moving MP Naz into a more agape community is we have to get good at having agape love for ourselves. Man, sometimes the person that we are the hardest on is ourselves. Got to be careful of your self-talk. Now, this isn't about puffing yourself up like I'm so special and I'm so great. It's not like that. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves for a reason. Because we can't love other people if we don't love ourselves. You see, I can't love you more or less than I love myself. So in order for me to really love you, I also have to recognize that I'm lovable too. And we all have something deep inside us that instinctually recognizes this. For example, many of us have a friend or family member who's so discouraged all the time, and they're constantly saying things like, you know, I'm so miserable, I'm horrible, and the world would be better off without me. But hey, you, you're great though. I wish I could be more like you. Do you know someone like this? And that compliment of you that they threw in at the end kind of rings a little hollow to you because you don't really put as much stock in what they think of you when they're so miserable about themselves. And that's why we have to love ourselves so that our love for others can have meaning, can carry some weight. The third thing that we all can do to start moving MP Naz into a more agape community, and this is the hardest one for us, is to allow ourselves to be loved. In other words, to allow people to serve you. And for some people, this is so hard because it feels awkward to you when people serve you and do loving things for you, and so you don't let it happen. And if that's you, consider this a sign that there's something being lost in translation with how you're perceiving service and love. Because we're made to be served and we're made to serve. We're made to do both. There's definitely power in giving. We all want that. We all want to be able to provide that thing that's needed to save the day that makes us feel so good inside. And so when people do that for us, it can sometimes make us feel powerless. But please hear me on this. It's an illusion. It's not being powerless to be served. You have to fight against that urge. You see, we were made to serve and to be served. And if we're resistant to allowing people to serve us, that's just as bad as not serving others. That's why we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but also being fed and having his feet anointed. Jesus served and he was served. You see, God wants all of us to be servants, but that doesn't work unless some of us also are served, right? So we have to allow our brothers and sisters to serve us as we serve them. One last thing I want to say, and I'll wrap this up. God is calling us not simply to give more, but to move into a new kingdom, where our possessions and our belongings are no longer as important to us. God's inviting us into a radical new way of life, So I'm going to leave you with a few things for you to think about this week and ask yourself. If you want to jot these down, you can. You don't have to. Three questions. In what ways are my mind and my heart still set in the contract community I was born into? How is my heart and mind still set in this contract community that I was born into? What ways need to change? What ways are my mind and heart set in the agape community that I'm invited into? That's question number two. 
What ways are my heart and mind set in the agape community that I'm invited into? And then third, how can I get more of my mind and my heart in the agape community and less of it here in the contract community of our world? So to evaluate where your heart and mind is, whether it's the community you were born into or the one you were invited into, and how do we get more into the one we're invited into than the one that we came from? Would you think about those things? And would you pray, pray about them this week? I think it has the ability to change our hearts and minds in amazing ways. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this, is, uh, this, this idea of what kingdom are we allowing ourselves to reside in? Is it the one that we were born into, this one that we were never meant to be to belong to, or is it the one that you are inviting us into, your kingdom, Father, the kingdom of heaven? Father, would you help identify, would you send your Holy Spirit to help identify into our lives, to shine that flashlight into those closets and into those nooks and crannies of our lives that are clear ideas, are clear uh, signals that we are living in the world that we're born into. Father, would you would you allow us that um, we would take the time to really think about this and allow the Holy Spirit to identify those parts, of those parts of things that are in our lives and turn them over to you so that we can live more fully in your kingdom, the kingdom you've invited us into. And we pray these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.